What's up, everybody? This is Intuition, and uh, this is Kinda Neat, coming from Cosmic Zoo Studios in Atwater Village. Uh, Kinda Neat is going to be my new podcast venture, uh, whereupon I interview artists who I appreciate their music and that I want to you know, either introduce you guys to or get you more familiar with. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the studio first, like, like I said, we're at cosmic zoo and it's a beautiful new spot that, um, daddy Kev and no can do have created together. Uh, and you know, I, I think no can James, one of my, one of my, uh, very best friends, he kind of knew that I was looking for something to do and something to get back into and that I was passionate about doing the podcast. Um, so he was gracious enough to offer me to utilize his facilities and I'm very happy. Um, so thank you so much, No Can Do and Daddy Kev, for uh, allowing me to do that. Uh, as you guys know, if you've been following, I did a whole bunch of these in 2011 uh, on a podcast called Knock Steady Live, and uh, unfortunately, things did not work out with that, and uh, I've been kind of on my own again, uh, and 2012 was kind of... Uh, it was a year for me to kind of reflect about what I was doing and also panic about keeping a, a fucking roof over my head. So I didn't do too much uh, podcasting or interviewing during, during 2012, but 2013, we are resetting, getting back into hustle mode. And I brought one of my old team members along with me. I've got uh, Ben Shim back there managing the boards and um, helping put this together. So big shout out to Ben Shim. Follow him on Twitter at I am database base with two S's. Uh, also don't forget to, uh, follow me on Twitter at it's intuition. I T S I N T U I T I O N. Facebook is the same. YouTube is the same. And, uh, I'm also starting a Twitter for this podcast. Uh, it is at that's kinda neat. That's K I N D A N E A T. Help me out. Give me some Twitter followers today. Uh, our first guest is somebody that I was very stoked to interview. I'm a big fan of his 2010 record, Cerulean. Um, just a really great guy on Anticon. His name is uh, Will Wiesenfeld, but you guys might know him better as Baths. Uh, it was a really just great conversation. I've only met the guy very briefly in passing. We've just said hello. We've never really conversed before, but really easy guy to talk to. And uh, he has a new record coming out in May. So yeah, here, here's the conversation that I had with Baths. I hope you guys enjoy. You're already here today. What were, what were you doing here? I am finishing mastering on uh, the next record with Kev. Um, we had some weird issues. It was like mechanical stuff. It wasn't like there was anything actually wrong with the master. The master was like really solid to me. How many versions of the master have you been through so far? This is the fourth, I believe. But I think it is the last one. I think this is going to be the final one. Because um, all the stuff uh, in between was just like trivial little things. There was nothing wrong with like the overarching sound of any of them. That was covered pretty much after the first draft. So yeah, it sounds really good. I'm really excited. Did you work with Kev mastering Cerulean too? Yes, exactly. And that process, it was kind of like... That was when I was brand new to the entire world of doing things like that professionally, if that makes any sense. So it was kind of terrifying and happening all at once. And I was like, oh, yeah, do that. Let's do that. Maybe not this. Maybe I don't know what's happening, actually. And it was just kind of like it sounded it ended up sounding awesome. But I was sort of more 
outside of my own head while it was happening. Whereas with this, I came in knowing exactly what I wanted out of it. I communicated all of that to Kev very clearly, and he knew what I wanted, and it sounds awesome. It sounds exactly how I would want it to sound. It's kind of scary, like, passing off your baby the first time to somebody and saying, like, oh, here's this project that I've worked so hard on for so many years. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do something with it? Yeah. My entire life is, like, the feel of passing on a baby to somebody. <laughs> Just like, oh, God, I don't want to. I'm, so, I'm afraid. and I'm scared. Yeah. It's always that. But then it always turns out that people know better than I do most of the time with what to do with it. Before you took on the nom de plume baths, you did a bunch of other smaller projects that you just kind of mixed yourself? The thing is, it was like when I started trying to make music that I was calling like my own music and I was writing it, it started like electronically. And that was just how I was writing songs. I would like record piano parts and then record myself singing, record all these other sounds. And there were just different names for me doing stuff by myself. But Postfetus was just like what happened before Baths. I don't like a lot of press and media and stuff because it makes more sense, I guess, categorize it as like my old band or like my old project or whatever. And it's not really that. It's like it's all the same shit. It's all just me making music. And it's just sort of like the next thing was not having that name anymore. And so I adopted the name Baths. And the Baths, Baths is like in my head, like, the all-encompassing name for, like, when I'm putting out music. Like, I have Geotic, which is just sort of a different listening aesthetic for when I'm still doing stuff by myself. If people go back and listen to Post-Fetus, can they hear, you know, Bats kind of figuring himself out? I think so. Is it tinkering? Yeah, kind of. I think that, I mean, in that sense, like, the Bats, the first Bats record, Cerulean, was a conscious departure from that. Like, I said it was, like that all of it is kind of the same thing, that it's all just me making music. But I did make an effort with Cerulean to try and sound a bit different and do, honestly, like what was speaking to me around that time, which was a, a lot of, this word is very dead, but a lot of the chill wavy stuff that was happening at that time, I was very into. And uh, that mixed with like my older aesthetics and all that sort of stuff, it kind of congealed into whatever Cerulean was. The thing that I liked about it is that it does kind of have, um, it has its roots kind of in the beat scene, I feel like, and then it just kind of dips its toes into Chill Wave without yeah. dedicating too much to it. It's That's sort of what it was. It was just like what I was attracted to at that time. I was like, I really liked that sound. I liked the kind of feel of music that f- was easy. I think that was the whole vibe of Chill Wave was that it was like easy to listen to, easy to digest, all of that. And I was into that, but wanting it to like hit harder and I wanted it to have my weird sort of like pop aesthetic that I've, that I've had, I think with previous music, the thing is, it's just like all of that was well and good, but it was definitely like that era that was extremely three years ago for me. And like everything that I've done for this new record is very, very much not that record. It's like extremely different. And it's the record that in my own head, I had tried to start before Cerulean uh, but put on hold because it was like too dense and too mental of a thing to like try and put out as a first record because it wouldn't make any sense, I don't think. And it would kind of like detract from whatever attention I was trying to get in the first place. It was like, like it's very idea heavy and there's a lot of lyrics. It's very dense. Uh, there's a lot of musical things going on on it. And the idea of having that as a first record, like an introduction, is psychotic. It's like it would be brave and cool maybe, but I think it would be like way too much to expect of people that don't know 
what I try to do musically, if that makes sense. I feel like that's really poignant to say something is um, so three years ago, because like three years is not a long time. But it's now, not, but it's an ex- it's extremely an other era. Things of are going my life. so fast right now, too, though, on the Internet. It's like in three years now that it, it's 2013 and that came out in 2010. Is it scary to, 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 to jump back in? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that like. I hate some of those songs now. I mean, like, I had a life with them, and I had, like, basically a relationship with that record that's over. Some of them are still really important to me, and I think still have a voice, and I'm still going to perform them, I think. But some of them I'm just, like, completely fucking done with. Like, I hate them. I've heard them so many times, and it's just like, I can't do these anymore. And I, like, I'm talking about, like, performing them. It's a fucking chore. And it's a sad thing to say, but it's true. And I think that with... That record and those songs, I put them together because I was kind of adhering to, in my head, what was like a beat scene aesthetic and like all these other things. And it was like, oh, I just want to make songs that sound like this. And it was less a factor of me making music that was important to me before anything else. Um, So some of those songs, like I'm mentioning like Plea and I think Lovely Blood Flow, I still love and they're very important to me. But some of the other ones, like fucking Aminals and Maximalist, I hate to death. I'm just fucking over them. They drive me crazy. And those are probably two of the ones that the fans love the most. And it's just like, oh, God. When those come on, everyone goes apeshit. Yeah, and it's just, that's why I'm so excited about this new record. Because I feel like people will like it for the right reasons, I think, with the new record. Because it's, I'm putting it like, I think people that were obsessed with Aminals and that was their number one favorite song might have a harder time with the new record, I think. But people that were into me for like, pop aesthetics and emotional content and experimental sounding things like more musical ideals with music like people that were into all that shit I think will like the new record a lot hopefully but this is again I'm like super over analyzing it I just more than anything I just want to put it out and just have people make their own opinions about it and like feel it out the only thing I'm like a hundred percent certain I have a talent for is knowing when something is bad that I'm making that's the only thing I know totally for sure so that it's like when I'm in that process and I'm recording and I'm sitting there for eight hours if at the end of the day uh I'm still not sure about it I'll I'll give it like an evening and like not listen to it and then come back to it the next day and listen to it and if I'm just still not liking it or it falls out of favor like I did like it and then it starts to deteriorate I'm just like I'm done I have to give up on that idea or take out the pieces of it that I think are still important and work on something new. That's probably the strongest talent is like knowing the difference between a good look and a bad look. Yeah, I I, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, it's like, yeah. that's the thing is it's just like I'm, my world of growing up with music was like the idea of perfect records where it's just everything you hear is like, all these songs are amazing. This is a fucking work of art. That's what I want to try and do. I don't know if I did that, but I mean, like, the way I fell in love with Bjork with, like, the two records, Homogenic and Vespertine, I think they're perfect records. I can not find flaws with them for the most part. And then um, just stuff like that where it's, like, so perfectly realized. It's just, like, front to back. Every song is great. It has, like, thematic similarities between the songs. Like... The sound has so many like peaks and valleys and it's totally cinematic. That whole experience where you can have like a full relationship with a record like that, where it like takes a piece of your life and it's like, oh, I remember listening to that during these years of my life. That's like my obsession and my ideal with making music is trying to make records that feel like that. And I think with Cerulean, I kind of failed in that. I think I, I made a record that I really liked and a lot of people really liked and it had good reception, but it didn't have that front to back thing. And it thematically, the songs were a little 
more disparate. I feel like you definitely defined a sound on that record. Thank Perhaps you. you're being a little hard on yourself. Yes, probably. And But that's kind of what it took to make this new one, I think. I had to be super hard on myself. Where did you grow up at? I am from San Fernando Valley. So I grew up in like Woodland Hills and then moved to Winnetka during high school uh, and then moved to Chatsworth and now I'm in Canoga Park. So all these weird like West Valley places. But like in life, my goal is to try and move to Santa Monica where it's like beachy and weird and people people kind of are weird in Santa Monica but that's like my vibe that it's like sleepier and easy and like I get stressed out sometimes in Silver Lake because people are like too beautiful whereas like Santa Monica it's all like beach heads so it's like nobody's that beautiful it's oh dude I would like, think the opposite I feel really? like really? oh man Santa Monica <laughs> there's some lookers there yeah very true very true I don't know I mean if, if for those of us who um are not from the Los Angeles area. The, oh, va- yeah. the Valley has like kind of a bad rep. Yeah. It's just a very medium locale. It's not like anything is happening. It's not like, oh, sick, let's go to the Valley. <laughs> like nobody's really right. stoked on I it. mean, it's people, when, like, when you're at a party or something and somebody's like, oh yeah, I need a ride to the Valley. It's like, fuck. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh God. God, we have to drive to the Valley? Yeah, yeah. So what's it like growing up in that environment? I grew up pretty suburban, like Woodland Hills. So I was still attached to Los Angeles, but not really aware of what that meant as a city. I knew Woodland Hills and I knew like, subway and i knew like the little malls and parks and stuff around my house uh but i didn't really have a big scope of the city and it was only when i started going to middle school where it started to branch out a little more and it was like uh i increasingly like over the course of like kindergarten elementary school middle school high school and college and stuff it started to branch out further and further from where i lived like elementary school was 15 minutes from my house uh Middle school, I went to Walter Reed, which was like 25 minutes from where I lived in the valley. It was like on the opposite end of it. And then Hamilton was clear across the entire city. It was on the. Oh, you went to Hamilton? Yeah. And it was in West LA. Like, it's funny because I've I've done a a few of these podcasts and I have this theme like with LA musicians, like a lot of really talented people come out of Hamilton. (laughs) Like, it's crazy. Wait, the coolest one that I know is that Daniel Ralston from Grizzly Bear went to Hamilton, which I thought was like, oh, what? But Hamilton's like a creative arts high school. Yeah, for sure. With kind of a concentration on music, yeah? Yes. And I was like very affectionate for all of that. I was very affectionate for the arts program there and everything, like, all the teachers that I had at that school. Was it like Glee? No. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck no. Well, my experience wasn't, but actually definitely parts of that school were very fucking Glee. Very. uh, Now that I'm remembering. Um, But that's what it was, is that there were so many different cliques within the arts program and the music program, and it was like that was the side of it that I had nothing to do with. It was just like the... What did you concentrate in while you were there? They literally have an electronic music program. Oh, so I was in that. And I um, I was doing like orchestra at the same time and some other stuff. But that was why I was there. That was why I went to that school. Um, and so during that whole time, I was working on like developing my own shit with what I was learning at the school. But it was mostly like, like my process of learning recording and developing is a lot of just me being at home recording. Like I didn't get a lot of that... Um, completely shedding as a, as a jazz musician would say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't get a, a a lot of that from outside sources. It was a lot of just trial and error on my own part of like, Oh wait, why is this thing still suck? And then like trying to figure out why, what programs did they have you guys tinkering with it? Well, at school we were using like reason and, uh, pro tools and stuff like that. But at home I was using digital performer cause that was what I started on. That was like the first piece of software that somebody lent to me uh, when I was trying to learn to record music. So that's 
where all my shortcuts lie. That's like the thing I can fly through the fastest and the ideas therefore come out that much faster. So um, I'm really into digital, perf- digital performer still. Like this new record I think is like 80%, 85% digital performer and then like 15% Ableton Live. So Ableton Live was like kind of like right on the verge as I was graduating, it started to like appear. Uh, so I didn't have it like in the curriculum when I was there, but I'm sure it's been indoctrinated and stuff. So you already had a plan then going to Hamilton and to work on digital music. Like you, you, you played music as a kid. I knew in seventh grade when I heard Bjork for the first time, that was what I wanted to do. It was literally like that. And it was like everything in my life from that moment on dictated that idea that like I wanted to make music professionally and have electronic music and experimental aspects all be a part of it. So I was like, it was weird. It was one of those things where I was just sure of it and I didn't know how to explain it. So I just like quietly worked towards that happening for the rest of my life. But you were playing instruments and stuff before that? Yeah, I was like in life, I started playing classical piano when I was four and then stopped around, I think when I was 12, I think eight years Mm. that it was like, I did all that and had all that skeletal muscle memory or whatever in my hands, but I had a big falling out with classical music and I had like no, I never emoted with it. I was always just playing it and it was very technical and mathematical, which is great. And I'm like, I couldn't do anything I do without that skill set. but emotionally it wasn't the right realm for me or whatever. So it took like that gap and then hearing other music and then all of a sudden hearing Bjork after being like a weird metalhead for like two years or whatever in middle school and then I was just sure of it I was like this is the most I've ever felt emotionally for any music ever I just need this I need to do this knowing that you didn't emote with the classical music but it was all technical and mathematical like you said were you were you kind of bookish do, do numbers make sense to you and stuff like that <laughs> yeah so I think like because I'm thinking when you asked me that question it triggered thoughts about my whole family like my dad and my brother and my mom and stuff they're just they're all very smart we're like I I'm happy to be part of a very smart family. Like my dad is like the smartest person that I know. What's your dad do? He is a screenwriter, but he's always been somebody that's like fascinated with like space and technology and like all that sort of shit. And my brother is now uh, a geologist to like working towards his PhD kind of and like fast tracking. Like he's, he might, I think in the next couple of months, like he was telling me that he might uh, go up to Stanford to use something called the shrimp, which is this like giant machine that like, analyzes rocks that it's like a multi-million dollar thing and there's only two of them in the world wow. and it's just like it's like like that and that's like, your older brother or younger? that's my older brother older and brother. he's 25 and i'm 23 um and it's just like it's cool what is, that I'm what's sure your mom do my mom is an artist and she's she's been like an artist professionally forever for like 20 years or something like that i think that's right um so knowing that your dad um obviously writes because he's a screenwriter did he did he tinker with music as well no but he he's very ingrained in the creative process and that's sort of something that he's always talked to me about like through the whole course of my life is just like what it means to be an artist and things like that like bigger picture shit so um like whenever I had questions about that or like doubts about myself or like what I was trying to do it's like scary how on my side he was, you know, that he was like, sure. It was just like, you just need to keep working at it. And like that more than anything else he said, it's like any, everybody almost on the world has talent. It's, it's far, far more about work ethic and like being able to just focus and do, do the work. Uh, And that became very real to me very quickly that it was just like, I would start, he would ask me and sort of be like, why are you doubting yourself? Have you just not made music in a while? And I would be like, oh yeah, that's what it is. And he's just like, well, just 
make music and then you're fine again. So, so did they encourage you to pick up the piano or push you to it or you just did that on your own? I did that because my brother was playing piano when I was younger. He's definitely musical, my brother, um, as well. Um, and he was playing piano, I guess, at age six it would be. And I was like, I want to do that too. And so I started taking lessons. And it was all just like this weird like brother competition. Like you said, you like growing up in a house with like a bunch of other guys, it's like a competition to like eat really quickly. <laughs> it's like the same type of shit where I was like, I need to know piano too, for sure. So, what were you like as a kid? I was kind of psychotic. I was very ADHD and I still have that, but I'm like extremely comfortably medicated now. Like I have a very, very small dosage of the same medication I've been taking for like six years. So it's very cozy and good. But when I was a kid, it was not cozy and good. It was crazy. Um, and I was just like, my parents told me I was a fucking nightmare. Uh, I was like screaming and running around all the time. Um, I was like, without trying to, I don't think, because I like, I had enough respect for myself, but I was kind of like, kind of class clownish, but like, didn't want to be, but was always fighting with myself because I was that dude. But I was like, no, I'm more than that. But like, doing that, like, analyzing myself like that when I was like 10 years old or whatever, just like, I don't know. What the fuck am I even saying? I find myself? that people <laughs> people that, that think a lot and are trapped in their own t- head a lot, it seems like maybe you experience a little bit of that. Yeah, literally every day of Do you go life. through any depression stuff too? I didn't, but it's uh, in my family apparently. It's like in our genes, but I didn't go through any depression. It's more that like, um, like at least not clinically. I mean, I've been sad, but like I've I've had experiences with stress for sure, like very, very high stress and almost not being able to deal with it. Um Cause like I took school almost too seriously sometimes and like making A's and trying to get like really good work done was like so intense for me and very, very, and like my middle school was like no fucking joke. I was doing like eight page papers all the time and like really, really tough work. Like I wasn't in this class, but like a testament to that school was that there was an AP physics class going on for kids as young as like seventh grade, sixth grade and stuff, which is psychotic that that even existed, but it's like awesome so like were you a borderline panic attacks or anything like that no uh just just crazy like i would drive my parents crazy and it would make me sad when i would make my parents sad so that would make me go into like weird self-analysis of like wait i need to relax but i don't know how to relax because my body's always moving around and shit um so i don't know it was a lot of things but i mean i was creative when i was younger too or at least tried to be what age did they recognize that uh that you were hyperactive and like take you to see people yeah that's a good question i think maybe as early as like eight or nine years old but the thing is it was like my deal with adhd was that like music like anything else in my life it was such a trial and error process where like we saw different doctors, but it was more about trying different medications for the balance for me, like trying to find Were the right Were you like balance. zombied out when you first got on? Yeah, uh, some of them. And then some of them, it just made me even crazier. It was like very delicate. And I must have tried like six or seven different things. But we found uh, guanfacine. It's the thing that I currently take. Um, and it's like very, very barely happening. It's like a really, really subtle thing. And I feel completely myself. And all that it allows me to do is like take a step back and like focus once in a while and like get work done. And the test was just like reading, like reading a book or something like that. Like any, I had that issue that a lot of ADD, ADHD people get where it's like, you'll read the same page and then not remember a single word you've just read and start over and you reread the same page like 10 times. And it's like, 
you want to die because you don't know why that's happening. And it's like, I, I'm reading it. I'm reading the words. Everybody else is reading the words. What's going on? And just past that point when I started to like ease into the medication because it's kind of like a few days till you get normalized. Once I was there, everything started making sense. I could just read a book cover to cover and like it wasn't a problem. It was miraculous and amazing. And so like I've had that medication forever. You ever have trouble sleeping or anything like that? No, not really. Uh, if I do, it's like only stress related and I don't get stressed out that much. I've been getting stressed a little bit lately just because there's a lot of album pressures, but like I'm not a stressful dude and I'm not upset. I'm a very, very happy person. So I don't know. That's kind of the irony though about this next record because it's very much not that. And like I showed both my parents and Sean from Anticon the record and they both were like, like, are you okay? Like they had like a thing with me. Uh, And I was... I just, I was like, no, that's not, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I've always been fine. I'm not, that's not the thing. It's just sort of like a place that I wanted to go mentally and explore. It's almost like a horror film. That was sort of the way I was talking to Kev about it, that it's like the idea that it's a place you can go and or that the director will go and like explore like a mindset or a like, space. even though they're not a serial killer, yeah, exactly. I, can, I can show you the mind of a serial killer. Exactly. 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 So it's all that sort of thing. Speaking of Sean from Anticon, how, how did you guys come to know each other? And then how did you end up going with Anticon? It was sort of through Alfred or Daedalus um, that he he was between him and this guy, uh, Jonathan Larroquette, uh, who shout out to Oh Yeah, Dude, yeah, that's one of my favorite oof, podcasts, right? Yeah. Literally listen to every single episode. Yeah, yeah. So um, that uh, like through him, I I loved the podcast. I had heard the podcast, and then like he has a band jogger, exactly, which I heard about through the podcast, and then went online and I was like, oh my god, they're playing like down the street in the valley from like kind of near where I live. Like in a few days, I was like, what the fuck? This is so surreal. So I went and I saw them, and it was like immediately it was like, oh, this is fucking super electronic music, and like I geeked on that with him a little bit, and I think he I might have slightly resonated with Jonathan. We got to talking and I gave him my demo in the most like frail way. And I was like, I'm not that guy. I just have it with me and you guys are tight. Like you might like it. And he did the thing. He really listened to it. And he, he got back to me and he was like, I really enjoyed this. Do you mind if I, I'm giving it to my friend Alfred? Like, was it a demo under the bads guys or was it under post fetus? And it's, I say demo and that is not what I handed him. It's like, I made 250 packages of the fabric like a long time ago when it was just my own thing and I was self-releasing it that it was like, uh, if you can imagine, you know, like eight and a half by 11, like regular ass paper, like a plastic slip for that, that seals shut. I basically had four or five pieces of those paper with like different designs on it, a cover on each side that was like a mirror image and then two CDs in slip paper cases. And it was like a thing that I was handing to people as a CD, but it was like the most bizarre packaging. And so I printed 250 of those and then hand packages them all myself. Um, and that was what I gave him. And it was hilarious, but that turned out to be the thing. And Alfred got back to me and he met up with me and originally was talking about putting out that record, the first record, The Fabric, uh, on his own imprint that he was starting, Magical Properties. Um, But it was sort of like things sat for a while and other things happened and it was kind of like not the right time, I don't think. And it was a couple of years later or a year later or something when he... This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, every day feels like Christmas morning. 
From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. We had played like one or two shows together, and then he asked if I would open the Destroy LA event that happened in LA, which was like like all-star like beat scene lineup for Los Angeles. Was that at Henry Fonda? Yeah, Henry Fonda. I was at that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was literally... I got there too late to see you, but I was there. Yeah, but that's like where shit started for me, kind of. And it was like, I got to... Well, how it happened was that like I opened the show as post-readist and I had four other people with me on stage. It was like a weird band affair and it was pretty cool. Um, And then it was like Toki Monster, Daedalus, Flying Lotus, No Such Thing, Gaslamp Killer was like all, all the people. And I was like, why... I can fucking do that. Or like in my head, I was like, Hey, like I I should try that. I can do that. Blah, blah, blah. And so like that night I decided, I was like, I'm going to try and make a record that'll adhere to me getting to do that. And that's what Cerulean was. He was like, I want to try my hand at making something that people in this realm could enjoy and that I would enjoy and that could work as me touring it by myself. That was sort of the big thing was it's like, I want to make a record that I can play just me by myself and earn and save and possibly work to doing more ambitious shit in the future. Now, had Daedalus already passed on the post-Vetus demo to Sean as well? He had, was Sean familiar with that? Oh, yeah, okay. That Well, I don't think Sean had anything to do with post-Vetus when it was happening. I think he may have heard it, but it was like, he and Alfred and Sean are friends, but I think it was more just like, oh, like, listen to this or something. I don't even know, actually. It was only with the bath stuff when I had that. You had already started demoing out Cerulean before um, Anticon took yeah. interest? Yeah, yeah, very, very. That Like, Anticon came after the fact where it was like, I sort of, it was out in the world a little bit. Like, Alfred was my guy. He was the person that was sort of like... A mentor figure? Kind of, yeah. And I had entrusted him sort of with it being given to people. Like, without really saying it like that, he was the person that was kind of, I think, passing it around. And uh, it came to the point where, like, Alfred did want to put it out, and then Sean had heard it and loved it and also wanted to put it out on Anticon and had met with me and talked with me and So stuff. you started an underground bidding war? Kind of. <laughs> and it was, it was more – it was literally like this where I was just like, I love everything. I'm so down with both of you. I'm down with everything that's going on. I honestly would leave it in your hands if you guys wanted to talk about it and not destroy any relationships or fight over this or whatever like if you guys Rochambeau for it yeah and it was just like through that they talked it out and they said kind of collectively like we think it's a better fit if you go with Anticon and I was like I'm which is funny because like it almost seems counterintuitive uh, to go with Anaconda uh, initially because I, I'm older. I, I'm like, you know, I'm an older guy than you. And I was there for Anacon's first wave. Yeah. Um, and it was all very heady kind of, you know, in hindsight, perhaps pretentious <laughs> underground rap. You know what yeah. I mean? It was like these guys that were kind it was of extremely heady. It was yeah. like very experimental rap. They were all, like totally they were all kind of anti-establishment. And yeah. once Sean took over, it's kind of the label itself has taken a new turn. Yeah. I and I feel so. like Cerulean was kind of an intro to that new turn almost. That That's a very cool way of thinking about it. That's yeah. like, I'm kind of comfortable with thinking about it like that. That's, that's rad to me. Um, and that's sort of, I think, Sean, maybe without putting it into words, is kind of doing that. And like, like he has, like, there's a couple of new signings like Raleigh Moncrief and Deej who are like 
awesome and very experimental. Like the the music they make is very weird, but they're not coming at it from being MCs. Neither of them do that. They're not rappers or anything like that, but they have an immersion sort of in the world of hip hop. And it's so it's like, it's still kind of a sensible signing. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like Anticon is morphing. Kind Was of there bit. any, um, were you tentative at all uh, with Anacon's, like with the the reputation that Anacon might have had uh, I was in tentative, putting out there? I was tentative only in the respect that I thought I wasn't cool enough for it. I thought I wasn't like hard enough or hip hop enough. But the second I started talking to all the guys, it's like, they're all fucking like gentlemen. They were all like super down with me. And they like, that's the whole thing with Anticon is they have to come to a collective agreement. And still. I think you can kind of tell even from the music that they, that those guys were making yeah. that those are, those are guys that make rap, but you can tell that they listen to a lot yeah, of other exactly. shit. And they were super open-minded. Like everybody, all the guys that I met, like I initially met most of the, not most of, but a lot of the dudes on Anticon at the first South by, I think I, I think it was in 2010. Mm-hmm. That was sort of like my first foray into even like playing that shit live in a real way. And all the guys were there and I met them all and they were like super happy to meet me. And I was still in like celebrity geek mode. I was like, oh my God, oh shit. Like this is all the guys. They're all here and like blah, blah, blah. But it's nothing about that has ever been difficult. Like I've never had to like sacrifice the type of music I want to make for the sake of adhering to the label. And that's totally how it needs to work. It's kind of backwards for me if it's like like you're making a record to put it out on a certain label. Like if I started doing that, if I started making very, very hip hop oriented music, because now that I'm on Anticon, it wouldn't make sense. And I think that the guys from Anticon respect that and they get it that it's like, I'm going to do myself. And then the fact that I'm on Anticon is awesome also. And it's not like, it's not butting heads. It's like a comfortable fusion. It was like a, a coming out party where you had you yeah. had the, the <laughs> residents at Low End Theory for a week. Yeah. A lot of media outlets started to pick up on you. Pitch the thing with Low End turned music. into four weeks, which was what was crazy. Like, it. yeah, Kev, Kev actually just recently told me he had like a thing with that album and really wanted that to happen for me. He was adamant about making that happen. Yeah. I was just like, awesome. Speaking of coming out parties, you have a really funny story about coming out to your brother that I read. Would you would you recant that for us? Yeah, sure. It was it was actually he was the first person I came out to, and it was kind of like it got to the point where I was just I, I think it was tenth grade, and I was like I knew I just knew, and I was tired of like trying to play out this life of like being married and maybe doing something on the side in a really fucked up dark way, and I was just like I can't. I'm a very open person. I want to get it out. So. Talked to my brother and I was like, let's, I have something to tell you, but it's like really intense. So let's go somewhere. And he was like, what, what do you mean? And I was like, let's go to Point Doom. Let's go to the ocean. He was like, okay, whatever. And so we drove to Point Doom in Malibu, which is like mountain cliff by the ocean. It's like really big and epic. How far of a drive is that? Uh, from where I live, it was like 35 minutes. It was what, was the, what was the car ride there like trying to <laughs> hold off? It was kind of, I think it was like, he was like, hilariously anxious but not nervous like there was nothing weird or dark about the whole situation it was just kind of well there was something weird but it wasn't dark it was just funny it was kind of like what's going on right now um and just we got there and we're sitting and chilling for a minute and i told him i was like so i'm gay and i'm trying to figure out what to do with that and he was laughing for a second and then he was like oh 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 and then like all like layer by layer everything about my life made sense to him and he was like I get like everything. He was just like, I get it completely. I get everything. Like it wasn't a problem in the least. I didn't think it would be, but it was just like, everything made sense for him. 
And the ride back was kind of hilarious. We were already making jokes about it and about like what my life was going to be like. Yeah, because I, I remember like uh, I think it was in LA Weekly or something. I read the article uh, when I was like, "Oh man, this guy gets it. He's really funny." It was like <laughs> you're like you told him, um, "Yeah, man, I have something to tell you. I've got a real bad case of the fags." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was how I phrased it. Like, that's a very interesting <laughs> way to put it. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, yeah. and he was just like. Oh, <laughs> and kind of put it together for himself. And that was also the thing is, it's like I grew up like wet, like I told you, West Valley. It's super West Valley. And like the word fag and faggot is thrown around all the time, like everywhere, brutally. And it's just like it didn't even phase me at that time that it was still like not not chill, you know. And so I was just like I was all about it. I was like, yeah. I mean, did you know as a kid? Uh, like how early did you know? I knew in seventh grade around the time I had heard Bjork, but not because of Bjork, but it was just like, I was watching porn and then well, and that's I when knew. people start, yeah, people <laughs> yeah. start developing around that I age. I was just like, I realized it. I was like, oh duh. Like if I'm actively seeking out men, yeah. it's like, oh fuck. And it was just kind of like, it was, it wasn't like I was broken or anything. I was just kind of bummed out. I was like, oh God, that means I have to like do a thing. And like, how long is that going to take? Or like, I don't know. Did you feel the need to hide it? Uh, at first yeah totally because it was just like the way I grew up it was still weird for people and like my parents had never like they barely talked to me about like gay people or gay not gay culture but like just I didn't even know that was really a thing I kind of had to discover that for myself like I had never heard about my parents having gay friends and if they did and they were at the house because there have been there have been my my mom knows a bunch of gay dudes from her That's life. just like your, Oh, those Canada. are your two uncles. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. It was kind of like, I didn't Unspoken, know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of like, and that solidified it that it was like, Oh, it's my entirely my own journey. I have to figure this out. I have to do all that shit. And kind of, that was how it went. Like, uh, were there times between, uh, you know, seventh grade and 10th grade when you came out where, uh, perhaps people were suspecting anything. Were you getting picked on anything like that? Nothing no? like that. Because I mean, I don't, I think outwardly I don't appear that gay. I mean, I I might more now, like or effeminate or whatever. Um, but when I was like that young, I was still very not. I like I I I was like closeted enough that I had like I had it on lock, kind of, to not appear gay or effeminate or whatever. And when I did, I was very defensive, which I think made it more obvious for people that knew me that it was like he's probably gay because I was like no man. No way. And like, I was like very intense about it. So I don't know, but like, that was it. Like I told my parents, my parents were emotional, but they understood. And then like, and were like pretty much immediately on my side about it and like trying to make it make sense for me. And then when I told my friends, they were like, Oh, duh. Like everybody was just like fucking duh. Finally. Thank you. And I was like, I didn't realize it was that obvious. And they were like, yeah. So did you ever try to date girls to cover it up? Yeah, totally. Yeah. All through all through middle school and like early high school. I was not not in high school so much, but like yeah, I did. It was weird. Break any hearts? Any, any maybe, girl hearts? Maybe. Do you, have, do you have a girl floating around that has an issue because uh, her first boyfriend was God, gay? God, I hope not. I have no idea. It's possible, but I don't think so. And I think it was young enough at that time that it was still like innocent. It wasn't like yeah. really like girlfriend shit. It was kind of yeah, just yeah. like, yeah. So I mean, tell me, uh, being a live musician, you know, we're, you get you get your band aids and your groupies. Do, do do you have that with the uh, yeah. when you play shows? Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's it's atypical groupies or ba- not groupies. Groupies is not the right word because I don't have that. I don't think I just have like really impassioned 
fans, like girls or guys, girls that know that I'm gay, but that are just as impassioned and like coming on to me. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested. And then when guys do, it tends to be much more intense. And like I said earlier to you that it's like a lot of guys have asked how they should come out to their families and to their friends and stuff. And it's like, you become the spirit guide for people. Yeah. God. And I like, don't want that. What's the means that they hit you up for that? Like on Facebook or something? On Facebook, it's happened a couple of times and I've been happy to do it. You know, I've been happy to talk people through it and stuff, uh, at least talking through what it was like for me. I can't pretend to be an expert, Uh, but it shows it's when it's like, kind of like, I, I respect that you're coming to me for this. I just can't really deal with it right now. I'm like, I'm sitting at a table selling merchandise. Like there's a line behind you. I can't really do this right now, but like, like, well, maybe come see me after the show or like hit me up online. Maybe I can try and do something, but you know, I respect it. I get it. I mean, if I had the means of doing that, like if I knew and I had like a gay musician that I could go see play a show, I would probably like assault him in the same way and be like, what the fuck? Like, what do I do? So I don't know. That's happened. I mean, like I've had, I think in life I've had one hookup from a show. And I think that was, it was good. Uh, it was pretty mellow. Um, it was like chill and romantic. And it was while I was on tour and it was like, I ended up staying the night and it was really nice. And we like went our separate ways. And then like, after the fact, it was kind of just like a thing we were talking about in the van. They're like, that's, that was the thing. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't happen like that all that often, you know? People don't realize that it's hard to hook up when you're on the road because you have to be there the latest. It's like, yo, once the venue closes at two, you still got an hour of work unloading, loading up the van. Then everybody wants to get to everybody's in one van and everybody wants to get to the hotel room to sleep. And no one's really trying to fucking help guide your cock to the, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I've, I've had other hookups, like plenty of other hookups, but I mean like from somebody at the show that was kind of there to see me or one of the other bands. It's only happened once where it was like we met in person. The other times it's been like weird, like dating site shit. And that's usually how things go with me. Like the date I'm going on later, I met him online. So you're on, oh yeah, you're on your way to a date. Yeah. In like 30 minutes or so. Are you nervous? Um, a little, a little, but it's not, no. No, I'm not nervous. We're, we're saying now you're nice and warmed up. You had a good conversation. Yeah, exactly. You're ready to that talk. That was the thing. What's the new record called? The new record, I I actually am like wary to say. Do you have a tentative release date? Spring, yeah, summer, May, fall? it sounds May? like. May is the feel for it. Tell the people uh, where they can find you online. If you go to bathsmusic.com, there's all the links for all the different things. But like any of the social networking websites, it's like bathsmusic is the username. So like facebook.com slash bathsmusic, twitter.com slash bathsmusic. YouTube? YouTube too. I th- No, YouTube is different. I don't have a YouTube account, actually. I have a Vimeo account, Ooh, though. You got to get up on YouTube, I know, bro. I know. But I'm on Vimeo for whatever it's worth. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, but just look him up on YouTube, Baths. You'll find him. Lots of great stuff there. You're like internet multi-platinum. All of your videos are over a million, bro. <laughs> are they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I need to double check. You have a tour coming up. I don't have a... I have like legs of different things. The biggest fucking thing is that I'm playing three shows with the Postal Service at the beginning of April, which is like fucking surreal. Like it's totally, totally, totally surreal for me. So awesome. those are early... April and I believe I posted about it on Facebook and then anything else there all the show updates should be on Facebook or on anticon.com because anticon.com the label website just got recently relaunched and it has like all of the info so that's actually among all those sites that I mentioned anticon.com is probably the one to go to anticon.com real quick what what is your day-to-day like do you have to have a day job yet no which is 
fucking amazing. Three or four years ago, right before bad stuff was happening, I did. But I've been very, very lucky these past three years, and I don't have to. This is my full, full-time job. You got a booking agent and stuff? Yeah, booking agent, press agent, label manager, who's also a friend, Sean, yeah. uh, who's kind of acting as my manager as well. So he's a man. He's yeah. triple-tasking, quadruple-tasking all the time. Uh, well, hey, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Wish you the best with for the sure. new record. Handshakes. Handshake. You guys yeah. can't see it, but that was definitively a handshake. <laughs> um, so, yeah, be on the lookout for Bass' new record coming out in May on Anticon. And uh, thank you guys for listening. This was kind of neat. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.